0: It's the Alexandra and Friends podcast, and we're covering the everyday issues of life, health, and wealth. And as always, we have a great panel of experts with us. Here is your host, Alexandra Fincher.
1: Good evening. Welcome to Alexandra and Friends 660 The Answer. Thank you so much for showing up for our Saturday night show. Alexandra and Friends, we talk about health, wealth, life, and love. And this evening, our co-host, Courtney's here this evening. Yay. Yay. Welcome back. We missed her. Her mom was ill, as you heard us talking about it. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. And our co host, Billy Tatum, with Hello. Uh, oh. what what company you work for,
2: Billy? Uh, what do we do? Oh, Structured Foundation Review. Hi, Billy. How are you? I'm good. Thank
0: Courtney. you so much for being here. How's Courtney, mom? We miss you. She's still struggling. It's been oh. a journey, but.
2: You were able to get away? Yes. Okay.
0: Yep. I prepped her last night that I wouldn't be back.
1: To give we her were an following opportunity you to... on Facebook. I have you know. Oh, and yeah. it's I was an There's some questions you. I need to ask you about that chair she's sitting on. Mm. Is it like a lift chair or something? Yes,
0: it's like a it's like a people mover crane. A people. It's very mover. interesting, but we nixed that yesterday. I said we had a. A coming to Moses, as you like to say. Yeah. We, we, got, we got rid of that chair. We duked it out because she was she's done being sick, but
1: she can't.
2: We don't she. mention the other name in front of Alexander.
1: Right. <laughs> are we doing the Pledge of Allegiance? Yes, we are. That's what I was just getting ready to say. We're going to take a few just a few moments so that we can get the Clark family to give us the Pledge of Allegiance. And we'll be right back. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and a republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for. Wasn't that a beautiful Pledge that's, of Allegiance? That's my the, favorite. the children are fabulous, mm-hmm. and we thank um, M- Michael Clark, our producer for him, and him put this wonderful, wonderful recording. Courtney,
0: are you back now? I'm back. I'm hoping to be back for, for good and no thank more hiccups, goodness.
1: and you know what today is? Isn't our
0: one-year anniversary of one one Alexander oh. and Friends.
1: Alexander and Friends, and we have had exciting um, guests. I mean, every every week we just open the door for new guests. I'm amazed
2: how you find all these people.
1: I we keep trying the doors. to <laughs> scratch my brain to find
2: someone, and I forgot I don't have it.
1: I well, actually so. have a guest coming next week. Next week, yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Well, we had an amazing guest last week. We had the uh, um, the young girls that, or the young people oh, yeah. that work for... Um, Anita Martinez, ballet folklorico. What an amazing story! That
2: was fun. It was I thought fun. I wouldn't have that much to contribute, and I ended up all of my daughter's dance stuff came back to me. So oh, awesome! That was yeah. helpful. He was
1: texting his daughter from here, and there yeah, was, you I was know, texting her. And, TikTok, and by the way, Billy's on TikTok now. You're on TikTok.
2: I had to get an account because my daughter made a contest with my random text messages to her. So. And I won by the way, because oh, you know dads yes, are way cooler yes. than moms. So, so much
1: cooler. Yeah. And one other thing that I remind you is this month is October is the um ab- um Domestic Domestic Violence and? and the Galleria.
2: I want to talk about that.
1: Yes. And the Galleria has made a whole wall of the uh, <clears throat> domestic violence for the um, Genesis shelter. Genesis shelter. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is so beautiful. Yeah. I'm gonna take some pictures of that today. If you have a minute Go by and you can take pictures of yourself. on know they have this little. So
2: thing. Jan Lanebine was in my was in my head all week. Me and my wife started a new Netflix show. Oh my gosh, started, I was just going to talk about
0: it. That have it's, you seen it? That, Do you have Netflix? No. Oh, oh my, my goodness. gosh,
2: everybody needs to watch that have, show.
0: Have you seen it? Oh my goodness. It is. I binge that thing so yeah. fast. I was just like trying to get through it, but it is.
2: We didn't finish yet. But oh, the first good. three episodes, I was like, this is exactly what Jan was talking exactly. about. There's no physical abuse going on mental. here. There's tons of tons other of stuff. That's not okay. And yeah.
0: Money control. Are we talking about Britney? Uh, Britney Spears? No. 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 This was another- and what's really cool is the acting is really good yes, in that show. That it that girl is does Andy a great McDowell job. and her daughter actually play the real mother daughter mm. duo in the in the show. And it just goes through the process. And if if anybody has like single mom cred, which I do, I just I was like just rooting for this girl. And I don't
1: want to spoil anything. No, no but well, we need to talk about it. don't But the ending is amazing. It's amazing. I bet. And I it's, bet. It's, the
2: show's good so far. Goosebumps.
1: Yes. So we have an amazing show this evening, and, and I think the domestic violence is going to fit into this show also because mm-hmm. of the terrible things that are happening in our country. And talking about, um, they found the uh, young lady that was, uh, Pelito, Pelito, the young mm-hmm. lady that was, she was actually strangled strangled, mm-hmm. and had been dead for about three weeks, mm-hmm. which I don't understand because they kept showing film. Where did I see that she was possibly pregnant? Was that just a... Random I, have, I have not
2: seen that one yet, but
1: that's what these are things of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. This is where we and it come. started
2: early. That's why this show early. is so good. Don't wait till it actually physically hurts you.
1: That's, that's there are exactly signs right. leading
2: to that moment.
1: Well, and I guess Britney Spears is one of the biggest domestic violence because look at her. She's she has been literally taken to the cleaners oh, by yeah. her father. Yeah, and so. But anyway, let's take let's bring our guest in because we have an exciting show today, and uh, let's um, talk about. Uh, something that's very uh, hard to talk about, but I think this is why we have this show. We talk about life issues. I want to introduce Mr. Paul Lake. Uh, he is with Search One Rescue Team, and thank you for being here today. Courtney and Billy and I are just really excited to yes. have you. Yes, welcome. Uh, welcome, welcome. And Glad to be wa- here. I saw that you have your your dogs. You want to bring them in and we can talk to them <laughs> also?
3: <laughs> well, well, said I haven't taught them how to talk yet, so it might be a problem with the interview. But.
1: Well, thank you for being here this evening. Tell us a little bit about you and your organization, and then we can chit-chat with you the rest of the evening. Yes.
3: Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Search One Rescue Team's mission is pretty simple, actually. It's uh, to assist governmental agencies locate lost and missing people. Um, We do that with a fairly complex bag of tricks. Most people relate heavily to the trained dogs. That's what they focus on, and we just become the chauffeurs for the dogs for the most part. But there's a lot more to it. Than that, um, and we service all of North Central Texas, and we uh, respond only to governmental agencies' request. Uh, anytime there's a person that's missing, uh, whether it's an Alzheimer's patient, a child, an overdue hunter, accident victim, crime victim, those kind of things, um, we're one of the busiest teams in the nation. We've been around for uh, 38 years. Uh, I'd like everybody to believe that I was only four years old when I started the team, but I can't seem to get anybody to buy that lie. Um, and so that's uh, basically the, the nutshell of what we do, and uh, I'll be happy to talk more about how we do it.
0: Yeah. So you had mentioned that you were in law enforcement prior to getting into this. Can you talk to us a little bit about where you're from and kind of your journey through, I guess, the progression into getting involved with short one Rescue?
3: Well, the law enforcement actually didn't come prior to, uh, well, it kind of did, but uh, it was more of my midlife crisis, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. Uh, I started off in a law enforcement family. I had an older brother that left uh, home and went to work for the FBI right out of high school back in the 60s, and then came back and worked for the state police, and then eventually to the local county sheriff's department and retired after 37 years in law enforcement. So... I kind of grew up with law enforcement in my blood, but my skill set was in the design arena. And so that was my career path as an architectural designer. Uh, but I did become a reserve deputy in my hometown in Alabama as when I became 21, kind of got that part under my belt, became an EMT. And eventually, that's where my love of search and rescue started, as through the emergency medical services that I was doing on the side while I continued to pursue my career in the architectural design world. When I moved to Dallas in 1980, I looked for a search and rescue team to get involved with and couldn't find one. So uh, for several years, I just kind of planned in my head as I would travel uh, how to start an organization. Um, And I put together a business plan, for lack of a better description, and presented it to a bunch of the law enforcement agencies in the area, and I said, look, if I can make this happen, what do you think? And they all had positive response. So I uh, took the plan, handpicked six guys that could walk and chew gum at the same time, which (laughs) was no small task, and um, put them through about a year's worth of training. And um, as they say, the rest is history, sort of. But when we started, we didn't have dogs. We were a search management organization and man trackers. We all went through extensive man tracking training from the border patrol and that's how we helped locate people was actually tracking them Um,
0: so like footprints and broken branches and blood and all that stuff okay
3: Uh, and then a few years after we started we had a guy come on the team that was a military dog handler brought a dog and showed us what a dog could do and so we started using dogs and from that point on our Organization pretty much exploded because that's such a vital tool to what we do today. It'd be kind of hard to imagine doing it without them uh, although there is a lot more involved in conducting and orchestrating a search operation than just the dogs, they're just one tool, uh, but they are the thing that gets us called mm-hmm. typically, yeah, so
2: they bring good results, right yeah, they yeah.
3: are amazing, and we can talk about how amazing they are as well um but they are just one of the many tools we employ on any given search operation.
0: Very good. And then, so as an organization, you said that you're one of the busiest in the nation. What does that look like as far as how many search and rescues do you do in a week or a month?
3: Yeah, we're averaging about eight mission requests per month, which uh, is quite a bit. Uh, We actually train four hours every weekend. Uh, We have a business meeting every month, and then we are called out um, on an average of eight times a month. Now, each, all of those do not end up in a boots-on-the-ground search operation, uh, but still quite a few of them do.
0: Very good. And then the people that are involved in the organization, are are there full-time people, or this is something that they do on the side? Is it a volunteer opportunity? Are they paid? How does that work?
3: It's all volunteer. There are no paid staff. uh, And as I mentioned earlier, the recruitment dialogue that we have with everybody is kind of intimidating. It's We tell them this is uh, pretty much a full-time job, a second full-time job that you not only don't get paid for, but you have to pay to come do. Uh, And, oh, by the way, you can't even ask for an application until you've visited uh, three of our four-hour training sessions, and you have to fill out um, about 16 pages worth of paperwork. You have to get a doctor's release. Uh, You have to do a five-mile cross-country physical fitness test, With a 25 pound pack and you have to sit through a board review, um, all before you can be accepted on the team. And if you're accepted, then you've got six to 10 months worth of basic training. So there's a lot of
2: risk, right? I'm sorry. There's there can be a lot of risk. Oh, there this. is a lot of risk. Yeah, that weeds out
0: people, so, and you find the passionate ones that are yeah in it for the the goodness of the job, right? And you're disclosure looking out for them. And
3: The screening is very strict for a purpose, and we want longevity, we want professionalism, we want uh, care, tenacity, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, before we go any farther, are you married? I am. You have any children?
3: I have a 36 year old daughter believe it or not. So she was two years old. She was born two years after I started the team,
0: actually. I don't understand the people that we have on this show. Where do you find these people that don't age? Like, I yeah. feel like everybody that he we stunned have me. does not look like how, how they go their to skin life... lab. Yes. Right. Well, I'll tell you,
2: I'm only 39, but you look way younger than my dad. That makes me feel really good. I guess being outside helps.
0: You're listening to Alexander and Friends. All of our podcasts from our previous episodes are loaded on our website, alexanderandfriends.com. If you want to shoot us an email with any questions you're looking to sponsor or want to advertise on our show, that email is alexanderandfriends660 at gmail.com, or you can shoot us a message on Alexander and Friends 660 on our Facebook.
2: Brought to you by Miller Title, Roberto Perez, and we're here with Paul Lake, a Search One rescue team. And Thank so, Paul, tell us a little bit about some of the operations that you're allowed to talk about, you know, at your discretion, um, some examples, of things that you guys do that was very fulfilling for you. Uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have had some very happy, tearful moments. I'd like to hear a little bit about some of those.
3: Yeah, they are uh, extremes uh, of both ends of the spectrum. And so you kind of have to be prepared for both. I can remember the very first find that I made. This has been Close to 30 years ago with my dog was a three-year-old child that had been, uh, bludgeoned to death, unfortunately, by his mother's estranged boyfriend and wow. dumped in an area. And they had been searching for him for, uh, almost two days before we were called and we made the find in about 15 minutes and that was all good. Uh, but, uh, it was evening, uh, it was along a Creek bank and, uh, On the opposite side of the creek bank, which was elevated, probably 30 feet above where we were working, was the entire family, most of the neighborhood, about six fire department trucks and lights and everything pointed in our direction. And so when my dog made the find um, and kind of buried himself underneath a bunch of shrubbery to make the find, uh, I then had to reward my dog when the dog returned, um, in order for the dog to continue to do his work, it needed to be rewarded. And I, it was, um, kind of a surreal moment to to pet and reward a dog in front of the family after finding a, a, a oh, I understand deceased that deceased child.
2: The dog doesn't understand the way the we do. The dog doesn't understand. Yeah. And if they
3: have a bad experience, then they're not going to want to do the, the job continuously. So, um, and from there, there's been hundreds of cases, um, that we've done that have resulted in positive outcomes uh, from elderly people who've walked away to um, disaster victims and everything in between. So uh, I probably couldn't remember them all. No.
0: Do you have like your most feel-good story, something that stands out in your mind that just resonates with you where you're like, this is why I do this job?
3: I'm not sure I have one that fits specifically in that category, but one that comes to mind that kind of illustrates the uh, the dog's skill set and how important it is was an elderly person who left by vehicle a few years back from the city of Arlington and drove his vehicle <clears throat> to uh, the Sherman, Texas area and parked it on Highway 114 and disappeared. Uh, local law enforcement found the vehicle and didn't have the report that it was connected to uh, a missing Alzheimer's patient, and so they towed it. Um, and then later that connection was made. They started searching for him, couldn't find him, called in local DPS, including their helicopter, and they searched most of the night, couldn't find him. Uh, they called us, and the hours of the morning, we arrived about sunup and had to obtain a scent article from a relative, uh, which is not the best way to get a scent article because we have no way of knowing how contaminated it is with other people's scent. Um, The bloodhound took the scent article, started trailing immediately, went westbound on 114 for several hundred yards, then crossed both lanes of traffic in the median northbound, uh, went into the woods several hundred yards, then turned 90 degrees back eastbound, traveled several hundred yards till he hit a drainage ditch, then turned southbound in the drainage ditch and worked several hundred yards until he found the victim underneath the, uh, the highway in a drainage culvert. And the gentleman was uh, completely disrobed, um, even though it was summer weather, and his feet were propped up on the side, his eyes were fixed and dilated. He was probably less than 30 minutes from being deceased. He'd gone through all the stages of hypothermia. And the reason that the DPS helicopter with the FLIR couldn't see him is because he was underneath a concrete structure. He would have never been found without the dog, um, and we were able to stabilize him and have uh, Sherman Fire Department come out and package him and send him to the hospital, and he was back home with his family in about three days. So awesome. oh. those are things where um, the end results would not have happened without the use of a dog. In that case, we didn't have yeah. time to, to to set up a full ground search operation. It was just hit the ground with a dog. The dog made the find, and it happened in just the nick of time. So,
2: so not everybody knows what FLIR means. But, There's
3: floor, forward-looking infrared radar, which yeah. is what you see. And when It doesn't
2: you, work if you're hiding in a culvert. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. So the dogs are a great tool. I agree with that.
3: So you run this
1: operation as a business, right? You have, uh, I see they have board of directors, president, vice right. president.
3: As we talked early, um, that was one of the things that I put together when I planned out the organization because I've been involved with other volunteer organizations, and often they are run by committee uh, or If you volunteer your time and pay your dues, you you get a vote. And so I use the analogy that if you got 10 people like that in a room and they all happen to agree on what you wanted to do, which would never happen, but for the sake of argument, let's Mm -hmm. say you got 10 people to agree on what you wanted to do, you'd never get them to agree on how to then go do it. So I elected to not start Search One as the typical volunteer organization, but run it like a business. And so... It's had a business hierarchy with the board of directors and um, a business management style of operation. And so we take people's input, but the decisions are still made by our business management hierarchy.
1: Who manages your operation when you are out in a, the, your, your, it, during the um, event?
3: So that's a separate uh, management system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we operate under the incident command structure. We have trained search managers. There's seven of us that are search managers on the team. And so when we are operating in the field, um, it's not a business. It's a search operation. And so we'll have incident commanders, uh, operation managers, staging managers, all of the things that fit in the incident command structure, which was developed by the fire services out in California 40, 50 years ago and still is used today in most emergency situations with governmental agencies. And so that's how we operate.
1: What area do you operate in? Are you only in Texas, or do you go? Do they ever ask you to leave, like in when the Florida condominium collapsed, and you
3: had no, to? No, the the large scale, uh, disaster scenes that require urban search and rescue are handled by FEMA teams. There are twenty eight of those stationed around the United States. There's one in College Station here, Texas Task Force One, and there's one in the Dallas area called Texas Task Force Two. Uh, They are the ones that get those type of calls. We operate uh, primarily in north-central Texas. About 92% of our calls occur within a 150-mile radius of DFW Airport. But we do go into southern Oklahoma several times a year. Typically, we've been to uh, Louisiana. We go out west Texas. We've been down on the coast for uh, severe weather, hurricane responses several times. We were at the shuttle recovery in east Texas for 11 days. Uh, We had members of our team uh, at Ground Zero, Uh, for several days, uh, but they were part of task force one at that time. So um, we will still respond here to local disasters, what we consider light disaster, anything that's a single or two-story structure collapse due to weather or fire or explosion. uh, We still do that, but the large things go to the FEMA task force teams.
2: Okay. So when an agency needs you, they call you, they email, what happens there? You have an emergency number? Yeah, we in? have an
3: 800 emergency number. That's manned 24-7. Um, it comes into a messaging system that alerts all seven search managers, and then we have a monthly schedule of who's the search manager on duty. That search manager returns the call to the agency immediately and gets all the pertinent information needed for our dispatch system. Our dispatcher will then dispatch it to the entire team, and the entire team responds uh, back to the dispatch with their ETA. If they can come, they tell how long it'll be before they get there. If they can't come, they give that advice as well. So that's how we get called. And we only respond to governmental requests. Yeah. Yeah. Now,
0: how do you fund the organization? Do these government agencies, do they they contract you out and you actually get paid, or it's still all a volunteer basis?
3: That's a good question, and we do not charge for our services. So no one ever pays for what we do, and our funding comes totally from – Uh, donations by the communities that we serve. Um, This is our first year in 38 years to actually have a fundraising campaign. Uh, We've been fortunate and blessed to have been fairly well-funded over the years, and we've been good stewards of what we do get. Um, We have no paid staff, and so 100% of the donations that we get goes directly to the operations and our mission. Um, This year we hired a grant writing agency, and we are actively soliciting funds through that process, and we've had a a uh, little bit of success, but still we have no way of predicting from uh, year to year or even month to month what our income is going to be. Um, sometimes it comes from individuals who have seen what we've done or we've done something for a family member and they just feel like they should donate. Sometimes it's from a corporation. Um, but that's how we get our money. It's, uh
0: if somebody was looking to donate to your organization, where do they find the information, and how do they reach you? You have a website.
3: Yeah, we do have a website. It's just it's real simple. Search it's searchone.org. dot org. It's S E A R C H O N E dot org, and there is a tab for donations there, and they can pay easily uh, that way if they so choose. Um, our contact us direct. We can give them instructions to do it several other different ways if they so choose.
0: And then, is there anything that we can do to try to help raise some money for your? organization? I mean, is it something where you're looking for a connection maybe with somebody that we've had as a guest on the show or maybe Alexandra knows everybody? So is there somebody yeah. that you're looking to make a connection with?
3: Well, I, I mean, obviously we would love to take money from anybody that wants to give it, but <laughs> really? I really prefer per, that? I, yeah. I prefer <laughs> the donors to be somebody who gets it, if right. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Somebody who kind of has, yeah, has a vested interest in what we do and and understands the the need and importance, because we're a strange enigma, and the fundraising efforts, a lot of foundations have predetermined categories, and we don't fit any of them, quite frankly, because we're such an enigma. But um, the right people that understand what we do are very passionate about what we do, and uh, if we find the right one that wants to donate, that's outstanding.
2: I would think donating to you would be a way for someone who wants to help, but just doesn't know what to do or how, or maybe doesn't have the skill set to physically help you, donating to you is a good way to contribute. Oh, I wish there was something I could do for that missing child.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we would welcome that. We also uh, need people who come out and just hide for the dogs from time to time. We call them professional victims. (laughs) And uh, uh, so training uh, exercises there? Yeah, we train four hours a week uh, on the weekends. In the summer, it's early Saturday mornings due to the heat, and then the rest of the year we just switch back to Sunday afternoons from 2 to 6. Uh, typically at DFW Airport. And so uh, Professional are,
2: victims. I always yeah. thought their names was Karen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Billy. That, that is but very now you, it, it
3: sounds fairly easy, but you can't just come out and hide for the dogs. You have to go through a, a small training, training. program to, because the the dog's uh, training is really important, and the victim is one of the most important aspects of that training, actually. And so there's some things you have Absolutely. to know. About. Is
0: that just an adult thing or, or kids...
3: Uh, it, kids it really that can that. drive on their own uh, are welcome to come by themselves, but anyone under the driving age really needs to have a parent accompanying them. But kids are great. We love to have kids. Uh, yeah, uh, good way to train. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they love it.
1: This show is brought to you by Miller Title, Roberto Perez. We want to thank you, our, um, Roberto Perez so very much for allowing us to make sure that these shows are brought to you directly. Uh, without his um, sponsorship, we would have a hard time doing that. But if you want to sponsor our show, please give me a call, Alexandra and friends, 660 the answer, 972-342-2932. And we also want to thank Michael Clark, our producer, for really putting up with us and putting a great show for yeah, us. Yeah,
2: thanks, Michael. Thank you.
1: Okay, Mr. Paul Lake, you're back. And I want to talk, we, want, we have so many questions. I want to talk about your team for child abduction. I, I, I worry so much about this to kiddos nowadays. Tell us a little bit how, what, what starts a child, how do you get called into that particular
3: So there are uh, organizations that have been formed in the state of Texas, actually nationally, that are called Child Abduction Response Teams, CART for short. And they are um, sponsored, trained, and authorized by the Department of Justice. And each of those teams has a search and rescue element that's an important part of what they do. And here in the Metroplex Search One Rescue Team is a member of three different CART teams, And so when a child is abducted and the CART team responds, they will call us um, at the very beginning to do two things. One, to have a representative in command to help oversee the orchestration of the search operation in general, and then to deploy our search dogs, obviously, in the areas where um, they're most needed with regards to the, the child that's missing. And so these agencies are made up of obviously law enforcement, but they're also made up of the court system representatives, um, family counseling representatives, and uh, federal agencies. There, There's pretty much everything you can think to bring to bear in a child abduction that are uh, represented in a CART team. And they train regularly and have to train so many hours per year in order to stay authorized by the Department of Justice to be a CART team. And they come from all sorts of different agencies. And so we've responded to several uh, in that arena, but we've also helped them with their annual training programs as well. So
0: you had brought up a point when we were off air and I just want to touch upon that, you know, we see kind of so much of this just forced down our throats with the child abductions and all the murders and the bad things that are going on. Um, do you think that's just more exposure that's being brought to us in a public forum? Have you seen where you, for years you've been doing this, There's that's always been there, right? There's always been these abductions and these bad things that are happening. Do you feel like it's more now these days or you feel like it's just in our faces so much?
3: I'm not sure I would be an expert to answer that question, but I'll tell you my opinion. And as I don't think that it is significant increase uh, as much as it is just a significant media presence an increase in the coverage of it and uh, the proliferation of the information through all the different Electronic media is is uh, makes it seem more prevalent today. But this issue has been at the forefront of what we do since the inception in 1983. So, yeah, I mean,
0: you know, it's it's I've got older kids and I've got younger kids. And, you know, you kind of see as as the years have gone on. You know, people are like, no, I can't let my kids out. No, I can't let them walk home from school. Yeah. Oh, you're a bad parent if you let them play at the park. And it's, you know, that stuff also, too, it's like that parent shaming where you feel like you're not being a good enough parent because you've got your kid under lock and key. And that's something where I've, I've you know, you've got, when my older kids were younger, I used to give them walkie-talkies and they would take to the park and they would have to check in every now and then before cell phones were around. And, and then now the younger kids, I mean, you can track their every move. You know where they are at all yeah. times. And so I just find that interesting where people are so nervous about that and it's like just let
2: them i hide. remember my dad being nervous growing up every really? time we went out in public you know a fair or something nope stay right here don't go well over and i think yeah. and
0: i and i agree with that and you know i've got all daughters and that adds a whole other le- layer of just you're just nervous because mm-hmm. of all the things that you know can go go wrong in that in that regards but um yeah it's just always very interesting so i'm glad that you you kind of share in that same thing where it's you know it's and, always been there
2: you know, Paul. I, I like. I see where you keep talking about training, and I want. I want the people who are listening to understand. This is not easy. If you're going to come work on your team, it's not an easy process. Don't don't show up thinking, oh, I'm just going to walk through the woods and you know look around twenty feet to perimeter of, as I walk. It's not that simple, right? To get involved.
3: That's true, and uh, that's a good question. And I'm glad to illustrate uh, what we commonly referred to as our recruitment speech. And it it is when somebody sees us on TV or just hears about us or does a research and calls and wants to come out and visit, we tell them right up front, um, this is going to end up being an almost full-time second job that not only do you not get paid for, but you have to pay to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in order for you to get uh, on the team, you have to visit at least three trainings and stay the entire time to see what we do and understand that uh, it is deep in the woods with the ticks and the chiggers and the snakes and the heat and all the elements. Uh, And then you have to ask for an application, and once you've been issued the application, you have a predetermined amount of time to fill it out. Uh, And that we have a background check, reference check. You have to get an approval from your doctor. We give them a written description of what's expected of you physically. And he has to sign that saying you are capable of doing that. Then we actually put you through a physical fitness test, which is five miles cross country with a 25-pound pack in boots. You have to do that in an hour and 45 minutes or less. That's a pass-fail. It's not a curve grade. Um, If you pass through all of that and still stick to it, then you're scheduled for a board review, and you have to sit before a tenured group of members who ask you open-ended questions. And there we're looking for your professionalism, your ability to handle Uh, yourself under stress Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you make it through all that um, and get accepted on the team and a probationary status you're looking at six months minimum it's more like 10 to 12 typically of basic training which we call flanker training you're not allowed to bring a dog to the team during that period we don't even screen your dog during that period Um, it's similar to the military's basic training you have to get that done before you can do anything else Um, then if If your biggest desire is to be a dog handler when you grow up, uh, you've got another 12 to 18 months of training with a dog before you can even be tested or certified. This is not as
2: easy as it seems. No. Yeah. Okay.
0: is there, where do you get the dogs from? I mean, that are within the organization. Does the dog come with the handler? Does the handler just have a dog within the organization that they would use?
3: So the the organization does not own any of the animals. The animals are owned by the individual handlers and it's up to the handler to acquire uh, the dog and pre-screen it by our standards. And then we screen it two different times. Um, Once for temperament in order to figure out if it's acceptable to bring to team to socialize with other dogs and people. And then the second one would be screening it to go into a particular discipline training program. Uh, If it, passes that screening for the discipline, um, it can then be accepted into the training program, but that's no guarantee that it can pass the training program. If it doesn't pass the screening, though, we know it can't pass the training, so it doesn't get in. And we have about a 50% washout rate on the screening process before a dog even enters the training program and another 20% washout during training, so it's pretty arduous. What are the
0: breeds of dogs that excel in this type of environment?
3: Well, the general answer of that would be a working breed or a sport breed dog. We don't use the toy breeds or the show. So b- no chihuahuas no, or anything sorry. like that. Sorry, I, I have some really not my chewy,
1: uh, huh?
3: Yeah, I usually when I do presentations, I kind of get in trouble about. <laughs> um So I won't do that on the radio. Here, but uh, no, we don't use uh, those dogs. The The working breed dogs uh, are typically the best because they have the right um, hunt drive and prey drive and play drive. And those are all things that people may not know a lot about. But those those drives that the dogs operate in are really critical to their ability to not just do the job, but to stay with it and to uh, deal with the adverse conditions that we have to work in all the time. And so we test our, our screening process for that is hours long, and it's very intense. Um, and so it's pretty important that the dog have what it takes uh, because we're going to spend another 12 to 18 months investing time, energy, and dollars into training that dog, and we want the highest probability of success possible.
1: Quick question. I want I to talk a little bit about the different uh, search teams that you use. So you have urban search, rural search, wilderness search, light disaster search, and human remains detection. Uh, what, what is the difference on, on these, uh, if, if I may ask?
3: yeah uh so that's just different categories of uh, search environments uh, wilderness we don't have a lot of here in the DFW Metroplex uh, West Texas we do southern Oklahoma mountains we do uh, wilderness is typically where you're going to deploy for an extended period of time self-sufficiently um, without being able to come back to base um, uh, urban search is within the city environment which is a majority of our calls we Commonly refer to them as 7-Eleven searches because we're rarely very far from a 7-Eleven store. <laughs> um, and and then uh, human remains detection is one of the categories you talked about there is, is uh, what most people refer to as cadaver dogs. Those dogs are trained to find all aspects of the human decomposition process, either uh, on land, buried under the land, or in water, underwater, actually. And so... Um, I think that covered most of them. Was there mm-hmm. another one that I missed there? Oh,
1: um, the light disaster, uh, light disaster. Light disaster
3: is uh, as opposed to the task force teams that go for the Murrow Federal Building or the 9/11 type situation. Um, it would be uh, singular, two-story structures involved in either a flood or a uh, uh, fire, home explosions, those kind of things. We go in after the fire department and help look for uh, bodies and. Home explosions and fires pretty frequently that kind of thing. Uh, so that that's what we classify as light disaster. Hmm.
1: So the the uh, the dogs for human remains detection is that a different type of dog that you use, or is it the regular one? It's not
3: necessarily a different breed, but we operate three different disciplines on the team, and I mentioned that earlier. One is trailing, which is scent specific, and most people re- relate to the bloodhound. Um. In that category, it doesn't have to be a bloodhound, but that's where you take an article of clothing or something that has a human scent on it Mm -hmm. and present that to the dog. The dog's trained to find that specific scent molecule only, Um, and that's a very strategic use in a search operation and establishing a direction of travel for a person that's walked away. Then the second discipline is air scent. Um, It's also live find, and it's looking for any human airborne scent that doesn't belong to the dog's pack. So the trailing dog takes a specific scent. The air scent dog uses that discipline in reverse. They file away the scent patterns of everybody that's with their pack or their team, uh, and then they look for any airborne scent that doesn't belong to them. And then the third discipline is human remains detection, and it can still be the same breeds of dog. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not necessarily a different type of dog, but that dog is trained specifically Uh, on human remains and certified nationally for that particular discipline. All of our dogs are introduced to the human remains because we may start out looking for a live victim and they may be deceased when we find it, but these dogs specialize in that.
1: Were you part of the um, search uh, group for the... Collapse of the building on Oaklawn area. You remember that apart, the whole building? Yeah, I do collapsed. remember
3: that. And no, we were not. That was Task Force Two, which is made primarily of Dallas Fire Department personnel and other fire agencies in the Dallas area. And that was, was classified as one of those large scale urban collapses. Wow. And so those teams are uh, not only specially trained, but have um, engineers and doctors and all sorts of other types of support. They can go in and assess the structural integrity before they deploy dogs. So um, that's why they get those jobs, and we don't.
2: Hmm. Wow. Well, I saw this flyer here that you started a seminar on the 14th um, down in Granbury. Is that?
3: Uh, actually, we uh, are the actual training It goes through this weekend, and that's our 11th uh, annual three-day seminar. We started that. Um primarily to give uh, enhanced training over a short period of time for our own team, but several years back we opened it up to other teams. And so this year we actually have seven different teams represented from across the state, including the Texas Parks and Wildlife K9. So
2: the seminar is just for your whole group to get together in one big weekend-type right. type event training. Right. Do you have that open to people to come watch or –
3: no, it's not open to the public. Um, okay. It's really not a spectator sport, if Got that you. makes any sense. I mean, you can come and plug into one discipline for a short period of time and see the dogs work a little bit. But it's really hard uh, at a training event for somebody to come in and see the whole operation and have a good grasp of it. We kind of have to walk you around. Okay. No, I was just curious. I saw that on your website. All right.
1: You're listening to Alexander Friend 660 The Answer this evening. We've got Courtney, my co-host that I love dearly. Hi. Hi. And Billy Tatum, who Hello. is always late, but he came in time today. I haven't
2: been late in three weeks.
1: Oh, that's, that's right, Billy. That's right. Well, thank you for being here this evening. We have an amazing show tonight with Search One Rescue. And uh, Paul Lake is telling us all about what it takes to be in this program. And I wish I was strong enough to do that I would like to come over but I can I can help you with fundraising I'm very good at that okay Great. very good it's <laughs>
3: very important actually
1: well Courtney we have more questions for him but I think just to know that the animals or the dogs are an intricate part of the organization wow it, it just... yeah
2: that was news to me I, I thought we'd be talking about different things but now I see the the dogs are your biggest asset in a way uh, or, or you know it's all a group team effort of course and the dogs are a big part of that team
3: well, they are the key to the phone ringing, if that makes sense. The wow. agencies that call us out are calling for the specialized dog unit. Gotcha. That's what they think of. And so, but when we uh, come to the table, we bring a lot more than just the dogs in terms of asset. We we have our own mobile command center that so we're self-contained and we arrive with a command staff um and 38 years of experience on how to run a ground search operation as well as bringing the dogs uh, that are the specialized asset. So typically when we arrive, most agencies just say, okay, what do you need from us? Um, This is your operation.
0: Do you collaborate with their canine unit at all?
3: Uh, The police canine is a different type of function and I was a police canine handler for four years here in the Metroplex Mm -hmm. and so I kind of see it from both sides. The Police canine is uh, trained to do typically uh, what's called patrol work, and that's tracking, and it's tracking a criminal with the ability to defend itself at the end of that track. Um, so it's trained to bite, and uh, it has to be on the scene in a time frame measured in minutes, typically, and it works on the hottest trail, not necessarily a specific scent. And so, our dogs, when we are uh, trailing, do things differently. We are looking for a specific scent to establish a direction of travel, and our dogs are not bite trained. Yeah, they're not aggressive. And so our response time can actually be measured in hours or days. We've had successful trails that have been close to a week old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not suggesting that that be when everybody wait and call us because the earlier the better. The first couple of hours is the sweet spot. Um, but trailing dogs do have the ability to pick up residual scent. Uh, for many hours after the fact, um, it's not the highest probability. Uh, the sooner, the better, as always. But it can be done. So, what's Is there
0: your?
2: Any? Oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, I was just going to touch base on something we mentioned off when we were on on a break. Um, what's your What's your plans for the future? What's your goals? Um, what's a dream that you have that hasn't come yet for this organization?
3: Well, an uh, increase in membership would be good, uh, and that's a hard one because of how strict our screening uh, requirements are. It, um, the pool of potential candidates is actually fairly small. When you factor in the, the mindset, the availability, and the tenacity and professionalism, uh, that all has to be there for somebody to actually get through that. Um, that's kind of hard. So we don't get to add a lot of people per year, but we do need more people people. Uh, from a financial standpoint. We really need additional um, uh, off road vehicle uh, in order to transport our dog teams from staging into the field and saving time because um, that's a really important part of how we do uh, our job. Um, And we'd really like to have a land-based facility somewhere in the central area hopefully somewhere close to dfw airport where we could station our mobile command center and have a training facility right now we don't have such a thing and we don't have, we don't have the funds to be able to afford a lease on that so those were our a couple of things we need to expand our radio cam- comms capability some of these are things that are part of our, our funding campaign this year
2: okay so if you guys are listening to that they need they need an off-road vehicle like a ranger Like a
3: side-by-side
2: or uh, a uh,
0: utility-type
3: Yeah, like a gator uh, or something along those lines.
0: Something
2: with a bed on it so you can pile the dogs in. Yeah, exactly.
0: ATV? Like a golf cart with the bed on the back?
3: Yeah. Anything that that we can use that's capable of going off-road in rough terrain and transporting uh, a dog team that consists of at least three elements. That would be two humans and a dog minimum. Someone
2: out there listening could uh, help oh, with that. Alexander's,
3: she's oh Alexandra's taking notes. Yeah,
2: someone out there listening could help with that, I Absolutely, think. I think Absolutely. that's a good, easy goal to achieve.
1: I think so, yeah. I think so. And, and then, when you're talking about a property, are you talking about like a building for to establish your… your yes, your, a
3: building uh, with and our, a little our, bit of land, right? Well, and it needs, uh, preferably, would be something with um, a bay and a garage door that would accommodate a 13-and-a-half-foot-tall mobile command center. That's the size of about a third of an 18-wheeler, yeah, and and it's pretty big, and we would like to be able to store it indoors so we can maintain and operate it in a controlled environment. Right now, it's stored outdoors at DFW Airport's uh, DPS facility, uh, which is great, and we're glad for that, but we have to go through um, some steps to get it out and into operation each time we get called, and that's kind of a problem, so our uh, magic wand would be to have a facility that we could afford that's paid for continuously and allows us to store and operate our mobile command center
2: i feel someone out there has some unleased part of a building or
1: well, something that's that connection with yeah, the airport uh, yeah. what, what's the name of your company
2: structured foundation repairs
1: yeah. uh, we don't that, have
2: any empty bays
1: well no but you know uh the, your big boss is might have the ability yeah. to uh he helps out yeah, all the time we'll i mean have he to, donates yeah, to we'll a have lot to of call things him and talk to him yeah. and tell him how d- well you're doing on the show <laughs> this will be an amazing you place. know what may be a really good connection is the
0: architect that owns the grill and carol commercial because he's got a design, design Wright. background maybe he knows something. i'm yeah, and I he he at of, 11 o'clock paul's an
2: architect too yes so yes yes yes, yes. Look those guys up
1: <laughs> paul there's one question i want to ask you a little bit can you tell us a little bit about anything any big events that you've had to work in the last 12 months that were in the dallas area that you needed to um that tragically you you had to come in on board and work
3: well, gosh, uh, there's been quite a few, um, one that uh, comes to mind was actually fairly close to where I live, um, up near, uh, between Louisville and Denton. And it was, uh, a female who came home with her family from church. Um, they were all going out to, to have lunch and she said she wanted to stay at home. Uh, she didn't feel well. So they all went to lunch, uh, came back and, um, When they got back, she was nowhere to be found. And so um, long story short, it turned out that she had walked away from her home uh, as a result of depression. Uh, She carried with her a bottle of alcohol and a a bottle of pills. Mm. Um, And she was now into uh, a heavily wooded area of uh, core property uh, near Lake Louisville. Mm. And so we were called in, um, deployed our dogs Uh, and made the find in just a few minutes. And she was semi-conscious, had already taken the bottle of pills and chased it with alcohol, um, and was shortly to no longer be with us. And so Mm -hmm. um, the dogs were instrumental in helping save that person's life. And so that's just one of many examples of how we've responded in the last few months.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Takes a toll on, on people. So you have to really be strong to be able to do this kind of work, right?
3: That's actually part of the screening process that uh, we have that kind of conversation with every potential recruit because um, not only are the rigors of what we do difficult physically, um, but psychologically, emotionally. Uh, if you're not capable of finding uh, somebody who's uh, been the victim of a crime, Uh, and maybe even completely deceased and occasionally um, in really bad condition, Mm -hmm. uh, then this is not the place for you. And so um, you're not only risking your own self occasionally just because of the extreme conditions in which we operate, but you are going to be witness to evil Mm -hmm. uh, at times, and you're going to be witness to tragedy uh, regularly. And so that's just part of what we do
0: check me off that list.
2: Yeah, that could be hard to get used to. I yeah. get
0: irritated when people cut me off in the on the highway. I couldn't handle anything <laughs> beyond that. That's just so oh.
1: Do you recruit uh do you go out to do recruiting
3: events? We have tried recruiting occasionally, but uh unfortunately, an open call brings a much higher uh population of undesirable candidates than it does desirable candidates. It brings a
2: higher failure
3: rate. And so we end up spending a significant amount of time screening through trying to get down to the 1% or 2% out of any group of people that might be a suitable candidate. And so we really just rely on word of mouth and contact that way typically.
2: Um, That's why I asked you earlier so you could kind of let listeners know I don't think this is something you can easily show up and accomplish. Because even after what you've told me, I don't think I could
3: do it. Well, if if the description that I gave made your heart race and caused you to think that I would like to try that, then maybe you should come on out. Yeah. If if the description I gave causes you to go, wow, I don't think I could do that, then chances are you
2: can't. For so, me, it would be the time. It would be the time involved to right. do all
3: this it's stuff. the emotional I, aspect I just, for me. I just... Yeah, for me, uh, it would be
1: emotional. Yeah, emotional because I just, especially because to kids, do with children yes. and, and
2: elders, mm-hmm. um, this is for a few select people. It is. That's, yeah. So, if you
1: would like
0: more information, you can go ahead and visit the website at www. one. That's s e a r c h o n e. dot org. I had to put my glasses on because I can't see. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and you can go ahead and reach out to Mr. Paul Lake. His number is Did I get that right. Even without my glasses (laughs) on.
1: Paul, we're coming to the end of this session. Would you like to, what would you like to tell people and our our listeners? What do you want to tell them? If you need people to volunteer and how, what do you want to say at the very end? Because this is a very hard organization. You've put a lot of years on this. What made you do that?
3: Well, it's just a desire on my part to be involved in this type of operation that was born Many years ago is the only reason I have for being involved in it. But what I'd like to tell the general public is that while the requirements to be involved in a search operation are very strict and our membership requirements are very strict, we are also uh, looking for people who might be interested in coming out and helping just to be a volunteer um, to help hide for the dogs occasionally or a support function for the team. We we have uh, support roles that would allow you to plug in without having to go through all the training. So if you want to get connected but don't feel like you can do the field work, let us know. Very good. Wow, what
1: an what a great evening. evening. Well yes, thank you. Yes. Another great guest by you and Liz. So thank you so much. <laughs> this is Liz's guest, so she's doing. Thank you so much for listening to Alexander Friend Six sixty the answer. This show is brought to you by Miller Title, Roberto Perez. I want to thank the Clark children for the great job on the America on the American um, Pledge of Allegiance. And again Paul Lake, thank you so much for for coming here tonight and telling us all about your organization. Courtney, I'm glad to see you and I'm glad hope your mom is doing better. Well, thank you. Michael Clark, thank you so much for the evening. And of course, we cannot forget Billy Tatum since I'm he forgotten. is fun. he he, gets, he crawls under the houses. <laughs> <laughs> Have Billy, a good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. <laughs>
3: You've been listening to Alexandra and Friends, the
0: podcast. Reach out to us on Facebook at Alexandra and Friends or write us an email, Alexandraandfriends660 at gmail.com. Be sure to mark us
1: as one of your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode.